we've from last week we had a larger crowd and and so we purposely put up more tables but we decided to keep them up because we want you know the more people the more available space they have the more people end up showing up they say that a room in the United States only ever fills up to 70% capacity so if you only have so many chairs you're only going to get 70% in those chairs so anyway um, that's the story behind the story. You know, Jim, let's, uh, we'll talk about that after. <laughs> I'll actually address a little bit of that in our talk today, our teaching. So let's have a prayer together, and then we'll get into our teaching. Father in heaven, we ask that you would bless our time together. Teach us what it means to be disciples of yours that make disciples. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. So back in the year 2000, there was a movie that came out. It was a cute little movie. It starred Haley Joel Osment. Is that his name? There's a couple movies that he was in, so it's not the uncute one where he was like seeing dead people and stuff like that. It was called Pay It Forward. Did any of you ever see that movie? You know what I'm talking about? Um, there's, the, there's the screenshot, and I know it's a little bit of a challenge because one of those individuals in that picture had some unfortunate things come out about him. But anyway, the movie was predicated upon the idea that young Haley, I don't know, remember his name in the movie, was a little boy who was taking this class from Kevin Spacey. And the, the teacher challenged the students to come up with some sort of project that could impact their world and their community. Haley's uh, mom was an alcoholic, Helen Hunt, and so he was hard up on his luck. But he got this idea that he would start something called paying it forward. And that was each person would find three other individuals and they would do some sort of act of generous kindness to those three individuals. And the three individuals that were the recipients of that act would themselves, instead of paying back the kindness, they would what? They would pay it forward. You guys are very smart. And they would themselves have to find three individuals and they would pay it forward. And the idea was that um, each act would be some sort of kindness that the person would not have been able to do for themselves. And so young little Haley, again, I don't remember his name in the movie. It's been a very long time. Young Haley started out this whole movement of paying it forward. And the movie details that idea that they would spread the kindness, they would spread the love, and throughout the movie, this is what it details and follows, until at the very end, and I will give the spoiler here, at the very end, because this is so old and it's probably not on Netflix and all that, but at the very end, little Haley sees one of his classmates that is in a fight with one of their other classmates, and as an act of kindness, Haley steps in and tries to break it up, and he is sadly stabbed and he's rushed to the hospital and he passes away meanwhile his teacher and his mom come to the hospital and people the media catches wind of this and they put it on the news and what they discover is that hundreds upon hundreds of people have actually been the recipient of this pay it forward campaign this project and they come to the hospital and they hold this vigil for young Haley. 
as they see, as they, as, they, as they recognize that this simple act of paying it forward has gone out and reached across the city and across the state, and it was able to change a whole community. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about this parable that Jesus shared in the book of Matthew. A parable, of course, is simply some sort of fictitious story that is supposed to reveal some sort of reality about God and his ways. And it's found in Matthew chapter 25. And Jesus explains it this way. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. So what Jesus is doing in this parable, as he does with many parables, is he is explaining the very the ingredients that make up his kingdom. If you were to, to live under the reign of God, if you were to reign, if you were to live in his government, he says, this is the way my government operates. The people who live in my kingdom operate by this manner as well. And so he's about to use an analogy. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one he gave $5,000, to another 2000 to a third 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left, right off, check out what happens, right off the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. So he's investing it, he's using it wisely, he wants to get a return for his master. The second did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole, and carefully buried his, father, his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him, Good work! You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. And he goes on, and he comes to the man who has the $2,000, and the same thing happens. He's doubled his money. And the master says, good job, come and be my partner, enter into service with me. But what happens with the third man? Check out what happens. The servant, given 1,000, said, master, I knew you have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. Now check this out. I love how this particular version puts it. And get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. That sounds pretty extreme, doesn't it? And yet God, and there's, there's many different things we can glean from this particular parable, but God is trying to, Jesus is trying to help us understand that in his kingdom, he is about multiplying the kingdom. He is about trying to build it up and expand it, even if that means great risk, great personable, personal risk and vulnerability. And so those two first servants that went and took a chance, took a risk, they, instead of burying it and saying, you know, at least we'll be able to hold on to what we have and we won't lose what we have, these two first servants put it all on the line and they put 
great risk and they were vulnerable. And yet the king, I get the master, the impression I get is, even if they had lost what they had invested, he would have been happier with them than the servant that just buried it and didn't bring a return on their investment, his investment. Because God's kingdom is all about seeking to multiply his kingdom, trying to grow his kingdom, trying to build it up. Because God is seeking to spread the love. And that's kind of the, the big idea that I want you to grasp this morning, is that as we talk about our values, that's what we're doing. We're spending this week and the next three weeks talking about our values as a church, as a church family. We had this whole discussion the last year as we were talking about restarting our church, and we, we all agreed on four values, and that very first value is the value of disciple-making, of seeking to multiply God's love so that others and others still can be touched by it, others can be affected by it, others can be embraced by it. I've said before in the past that our mission as a church is not simply to love people. You know, we do want to create an environment where people can come here on Sabbath morning or we can interact with them during the week. We can invite them to our home for dinner. We can do life with them. So we do want to create an environment that is warm and welcoming and loving, but our goal is not simply to love people. Our goal, our mission, is to love people in such a way that they themselves would learn to love people. You see the subtle distinction that's critically important? Because God is all about multiplying the kingdom. What he does not want to have happen is for us to simply be recipients of his grace, but we fail to pay it forward. We fail to have it be passed on to others. What we are not interested in, and we love to have you here on Sabbath mornings, but what we are not interested in having people do as they come into contact with our our congregation We are thrilled if you feel blessed by the music. We're thrilled if you feel inspired by the stories or somehow, miraculously, you are blessed by the teaching each week. Those things are great, but what we ultimately want is to be a, a family, a church family, that goes out and pays the love forward, that goes out and shares it so that we are not the terminus or the ending point of God's love, but we are a channel through which God could spread his love to others. See, what happens so many times with churches, and this, I could say this church used to be this way as well, but we are, by God's grace, growing out of that, is we often just become religious consumers, where we get we get religious services. Again, we come and we hear and we listen, and then we don't do anything about it. There's one gentleman, his name is Alan Hirsch. He's a really smart man from South Africa, lives in Australia now. He says, you can do more with 12 disciples than you can with 12,000 religious consumers. Isn't that pretty amazing thought? That you, God can do more with just a few people who are sold out to building up his kingdom than to 12,000 people who are coming and just being fed all the time, fed all the time, fed all the time. We want to get fed, but we have as one of our core values this this value of disciple-making, and it kind of all starts with that because we want the love to grow. 
The analogy I've used before, and it's interesting because uh, one of my friends that I meet with frequently, he's an he's a older gentleman who is Jewish, and he's, he's very curious about what we're doing because I've told him about what we're doing, and he and I meet week after week, um, and we just chat, and, and uh, he goes, he's connected to three different synagogues in Bangor, but he's open and he's curious. And he asked me, well, how's your, her, how's your restart going? And I said, oh, it's going great. And he, he's gone to our website, and he's seen the video that we produce, you know, the table I long for. And he said, oh, that's great. He said, there's just one thing that makes me a little uneasy. I went to your website. I really like it, the emphasis on community and, and, and connection and inclusivity. He's like, but I don't like this idea of disciple-making. He said, it sounds like you're just trying to convert people. And um, l- before I tell you what I, I shared with him, Let me preface this by just explaining to you that Jewish people do not try to convert people. It's just like the Jewish worldview, they do not try to convert people. As a matter of fact, if you were to go to my rabbi friend and you were to say, I want to convert to Judaism, he said, no, you shouldn't do that. That's what he would say. they, They just want to discourage people, and there's many different reasons for that. But this is something that's foreign to them. And so him saying, it feels like you're just trying to convert people. I said, well, let me explain it to you this way. My goal as a follower of God is to to love other people and to have the world experience God's love and to have that grow. And I said, if it was just left up to me, I can only reach so many people. I can't love everybody in the whole world. I'm just one single person. I don't know everyone in the whole world. But if I love you and you feel embraced by that love, and it motivates you then to then love somebody else, the circle gets bigger, doesn't it? And if our goal is to have the world enveloped in love, then we have to recognize that God's goal is to multiply the love. And the only way he can do that is if I love you in such a way that it motivates you to love somebody else as well. And so he said, yeah, that's, that makes sense to me. Now, he's not ready to become a Christian, and I'm not trying to convert him either, as I've, as I've shared before. But it made sense to him. And that's what our goal is. Our goal is, you know, and I was kind of going back to what Jim was saying. As a church, we are not about putting on good programs. That's not our goal. As a church, we're not about putting on awesome events as a church, we're not even, we don't even really provide many services, if at all. But what we are seeking to do as a church is to equip people and to disciple people to go out into the world and be the presence of Christ in the world. And if, you know what? People never come and walk through that door. We will not feel as though we have failed Because we are called by God. In fact, Jesus put it this way. Jesus said to them again, this is right before he goes back to heaven after his resurrection. He said, peace to you. He's speaking to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, what? I also send you. That's what Jesus told his disciples their mission was. He was sending them out into the world so that they could be his his body, his presence, the visible presence of God in the world. And they weren't saying, okay, how can we figure out a way to get them back to our church? 
Or how can we figure out a way to get them to our program that we're putting on? No, they were seeking to be the presence of Jesus in the world so that the blessing of God could flow through them, not be terminated in their life, but flow out to others so that by God's grace, the whole world could be blessed through him. That's the promise that God made to Abraham way back in the beginning, that through his family, all families of the earth would be blessed. God is still seeking to take ordinary people like you and I and, and, and take the everyday things that we do and, and live out gospel to those people that we interact with. The big idea here is that God has not called us to simply be the objects of his love, but also its subjects. Any of you very good at English grammar? In other words, God is not simply seeking to shed his love on us, but he's seeking to bring us into the circle so that we can then be participants in his love and pass it on to other people. We can pay it forward. I like how Jeff Vanderstel puts it very interestingly. He says, what God has done to us, he wants to do through us. Isn't that pretty cool? As you and I are embraced by the love of God, as you and I are embraced by the good news, the gospel, as we recognize that we have been changed and we have been shown mercy and we've been granted grace, as that becomes a reality in our life, we allow it to go through us so that it reaches others. He goes on to say, everywhere you go, whatever you do, you are a missionary. When Jesus said, I'm sending you, that is the word that we eventually get the word mission or missionary. And so you and I have been given the divine privilege to be missionaries for God wherever we go. He says, you are a missionary sent by Jesus to love like Jesus, overcome sin like Jesus, proclaim the gospel like Jesus, and see people's lives changed by the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You are always... What? You are always on mission. Every part of your life, every activity and event is part of Jesus' mission to make disciples. You say, well, hold on, I'm not, I'm not on mission all the time. I got news for you, friends. You are never not discipling people. You, don't even, you may not even be aware of it, but absolutely everything you do Absolutely every person you interact with, you actually are discipling them, even though you might not be aware of it. You're either discipling them toward love, or you are discipling them away from love. And so that elevates every moment of your life, every interaction you have. You are either building that person up, or you are gently, or maybe not so gently, tearing them down. Every person, whether it's a coworker that you're interacting with, whether it's a teacher that your child has, every single interaction you have is a moment of discipleship. And so when you leave that person, they could either feel like they're being built up by you or they are being torn down by you. And this is, this is not something that we can opt in or out of. I got news for you. This is not like, okay, press one to opt in. This is, this is the reality of life. And so when we're trying to get that you know, extra discount on whatever it is that we are doing at the store, just remember that you are 
either building that person up in love or you are moving them away from love. At a real practical level, there are two ways, two practical ways that we talk about disciple-making. And what I've just described is what I would call the reactive way of disciple-making. Everything you do is some sort of interaction that either leads people towards love or away from love. And so I am trying to ask myself, you know, after I've interacted with that person, does that person feel more loved or valued or built up? Is that what they experience when they, they're done interacting with me? They think, you know, that was a really nice person. No matter if I'm in the grocery store, whether I'm at the mechanic, whether I'm at school, whatever it is, is my life a, a, a vessel, a channel through which God's love can build that person up? That's, that's what I would call reactive disciple-making. I would, like, I would like us, I would love for us to grasp the reality that all of life, everything we do, is an opportunity to communicate the good news of what God has done for me. Now, you might be sitting here and say, well, I don't really believe in God. But I would say, even if you're a humanist, you have an opportunity to either build somebody up or tear them down. Everything we do has that significance and that importance. And, in, and, and it ripples out throughout the whole world. What would happen if you and I recognized that every interaction we have has that on the line? So that's reactive disciple-making. And then I would encourage you with the thought of proactive disciple-making. This was a very, very incredible thought in my experience as we were journeying to be more missional is that God has placed a few people in my life that he is asking me to invest in. He is asking me to enter into their life and be a blessing on an on, in an ongoing basis and pour myself into them and invest in them and care for them and love them. You know, committed love is a very, very strange thing in this day and age, isn't it? How many of you have can cite specific people in your life where you've said, man, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be where I am today. But it's very uncommon today. It's very uncommon that there would be somebody, even our spouses, unfortunately, that's the reality. We know what, what has happened so many times in marriages. But having somebody in your life that is saying, you know, I'm committing to you and I'm, I'm looking out for your best interest and I'm going to pour myself into you and I'm going to be here for you when you need me. That's very uncommon. And it's very, very, you want to talk about attractional. That is very, very attractive. And so what I have, I, I felt God leading me to do is in a proactive way, finding those people, those two or three people in my life that God is inviting me to invest in. And to, and to lead by his grace and love. And you know what? If they never show up here on a Sabbath morning, that's fine. That's not what this is all about. This is about sharing the love of God and inviting them deeper into my life and into my heart and hopefully learning their story and hopefully helping them be a better person. And I get the impression that a lot of times what happens is they want to know what drives me and maybe eventually they do come to know Jesus, like I know Jesus. But if they don't, that's fine. That's, that's, that's not my concern. My concern is to simply be a disciple of Jesus who pours my life into a few other people. So, 
Some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, I'm really introverted. I can't do that. I want to, I, I didn't share this in my story, but I have to, I know this is going to be a surprise to some of you, but I was a lot more introverted as a child. And I was, I was afraid of my own shadow. My mother likes to tell a story about how when, one time when I was 12 or 13 years old, we went to a mall one week, and she says, okay, I'll meet you back here in 30 minutes. And again, I was like 12 years old, and I said, what do you mean? Are we, like, are we going to s- separate here in the mall? And I was, I was like so frightened that I was going to be by myself. I was, just a, I was just a scared little child. And then even as I got older, I had to be conscious about trying to be a little more outgoing and and so I'm not necessarily this vivacious party animal or whatever. I'm, I think by God's grace, as his, heart, as his love has been poured into my heart, as I've learned to step out into the unknown. You know those two servants in the story? What is it that they did? They took great risk. They were vulnerable. They got out of their comfort zone and said, you know what, we might lose the money that our master gave us, but we're going to put it all on the line. And so... As, as, I've, as, I have, as I've grown emotionally and spiritually, I've learned to step outside my comfort zone a little bit. And one of the things that I did, and I've shared this before, but one of the things that I did early on, of, uh, I should say two or three years ago, I remember there was a time where I was literally sitting at my desk in my home. And I used to just love to, to saturate myself with deep theological tomes and you know, reading all these deep treatises on theology, as Camille says, the theologies. And uh, I used to, um, you know, love to write, and I just want to sit there at my desk and do all that. But you know what? I wasn't very fulfilled. It was a very non-fulfilling experience. And I remember there was literally a moment where I said, I need to get out of here. I need to go do something. I need to go be a part of my community. See, I was raised in a context where... We didn't know anybody in our town. We knew our neighbors, and that was it. We didn't, like, it's not like we didn't play a little league baseball. We didn't go to school in our town. We didn't know anybody. It was like we were living in a parallel town. And so I didn't, like, where would I go? What would I do? And so one of the decisions I made was instead of sitting here in my home office, I'm going to shift my office from my home to Bagel Central. Some of you have heard this before, but you just forgive me, I trust. And I remember going down there, I said, okay, if I'm going to do email, I'm going to read, I'm going to go down and sit at Bagel Central. I remember the first time I went to Bagel Central, I was like, this is weird. I'm just sitting at a table with my computer, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, do I try to talk to people, or what, what should I do? And I just felt so strange. It was like I was in a foreign country. But, you know, by God's grace, I settled in. And, no, I didn't, like, start chatting everybody up at the, at the restaurant. But over time, I saw the same people over and over and over again. And then I would, you know, just start having little conversations. And now I can't go there without knowing everybody almost. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. But the point is, I stepped out as I recognized that God was sending me out to be on mission for him. And one particular experience, I was walking home to my car, I should say, from Bagel Central. It just happened a couple months ago. And I, and I know I've shared this again with some of you, but I was walking through a park, and all of a sudden I just hear somebody shout out, why does everybody hate me? 
Now, the old me would have just put my head down and kept walking. But I looked over, and the person sitting there on a bench was, had long hair and stubble on the face and these big sunglasses. Why does everybody hate me? Everybody hates me. And I just, sat, I just said, you know what? I've been sent by God. I've been sent by God. Let me go and listen to this person. And so I sat down. Name was Jade, transgender person, transitioning from male to female. And he just told me his story. And I said, Jade, I, I'm honored that you shared your story with me. I said, I have to go. I sat there for about 10 minutes. I said, let's get together again next week. And ever since then, Jade and I have been getting together every week. I don't know what God's doing, but I know that God has put me in Jade's life to be a blessing. He's a Wiccan who d- believes in you know, Satan and all this stuff. Again, I'm not, I'm not under no delusions that God is going to make Jade like the next pastor of this church or whatever. But I just know that God has sent me. And I want to I tell you that the most exciting existence you can have, the most exciting existence you can have, is to recognize that God has sent you to be a channel through which he is going to bless the world. And every person you look at is not a potential convert. That's not what we're talking about. Every person you look at is a person that God is trying to bless through you. And life gets really adventurous to the point where you're walking through parks and you're sitting down next to a transgender person who needs a friend, and it says to you, you know, I'm so glad you listened to me. I feel like I'm valued. I feel like I'm loved. And it's like, wow, I could never have imagined that. And so God wants to do something extraordinary. He doesn't want us to put on good programs, to hold awesome events. He just wants you and I to be disciples who are missionaries sent out. And everywhere we go, we can be a blessing. And then there are a few people that he wants us to say, hey, these people specifically, I've called you to walk and journey with over a long time period of time. So to that end, somebody asked about these little cards here. You see them on your tables. I want each person to pick up a card, take a card, pass them around. You don't need a pen because I'm just going to I'm just going to have you take it home with you. You don't need a pen. You can have a pen. But what I want you to do and there's people in the back who aren't at tables, we won't leave you out. Take one, pass them around. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Any more that are needed? What I want you to do is prayerfully, as you go home today, what I want you to do is prayerfully ask God to show you who is it that he has placed in my life, one person, just maybe just one person, maybe two people at the most, who is it that God has placed in my life that he is calling me to pour myself into. You say, well, I have a husband or a wife and children. There we go. Bingo. That's it. You know, amazingly, God has given us the ability to invest in three or four or five people. And um, so I just want you to prayerfully think about this. Ask God to show you. And then maybe write down. Again, this is not somebody that you're trying to convert. This is just somebody who needs to feel loved and valued by another human being as you and I are disciples of Jesus that make 
other disciples as we grow the love, as we spread the love, and we pay it forward. Does that sound like a good deal? Amen? All right. The children are coming back.